You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with assurity that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith. Uh, If I sound a little funny, I apologize. I'm a little bit under the weather right now. This is episode 52 of Recovering Faith podcast, which means that this episode makes it one year since I started this podcast and blog. If you've been here since the beginning, I want you to know that I really appreciate the continued support. And if you're new to this podcast and blog, I'm glad you're here and welcome to the Recovering Faith family. Running this podcast and blog has been one of the most rewarding things I've done in my life, especially when someone lets me know how it has positively affected their life. And even though it costs me money and a great deal of time to do so, I think this project is worthwhile and I plan on continuing it for the foreseeable future. Also, too, if you haven't already, uh, go to Facebook and check out the Recovering Faith uh, uh, page on Facebook. Uh, Just go to Facebook and type in Recovering Faith Podcast. And if you haven't already, please go to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you listen and leave a rating and a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated, and it would help people to find the podcast. I had other plans for this episode, but on Saturday, I found out that one of my good friends, Doyle, passed away. So I changed my mind with what I wanted to do. The topic that I had originally planned for this week will be moved to a later time. I want to dedicate this episode to Doyle's memory. When I first moved back to Missouri in early 2016, Doyle was one of the first friends that I made, and he treated me with love and respect, and even treated me like I was one of his own grandchildren. And I looked at him as an adopted grandfather. Doyle was one of the kindest people that I have ever had the privilege of knowing, and I'm truly blessed for having known him, and I'm a better person because of it. I know there are a lot of people, probably hundreds, who can say something similar. Doyle was a great man and will be missed, and I have no doubt but that he is with Jesus. While I was in church today, I was thinking about all that we lost with Doyle's passing and what we all gained by having him in our lives. And while I was in thought, we sang the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I reflected on the history of that song, and I think it an appropriate subject for dealing with loss. So today I want to talk about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and the history behind the song. Most people are familiar with the song, especially those of us who were raised in a Christian home. But I want to share the words of the song before I get into the story of how it came to be. And the words go, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrow like a sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, 
It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well. With my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not the part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well. It is well. With my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. To truly understand the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, one must know the story of the man who penned the lyrics, Horatio Spafford. Horatio was born on October 20th, 1828, in Troy, New York, to Horatio Gates Spafford and Elizabeth Clark Hewitt. Horatio Spafford was a prominent American lawyer, and he was also an elder in the Presbyterian Church. And, of course, he is most famous for penning the Christian hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio died from malaria on October 16, 1888, in Jerusalem, four days shy of his 60th birthday. For a while, Horatio had everything, a thriving business, a loving wife, and a happy and healthy family. And he was a senior partner in Spafford, McDade, and Wilson Law Firm in Chicago. Horatio had a lot of real estate investment in the Chicago area, and he and his family were close friends with the evangelist Dwight L. Moody, now famous for the Moody Bible Institute and Moody Publishers. Horatio and Ann Larson married on September 5, 1861, and had four children, Anna, Margaret, Elizabeth, and Tanetta. The Spaffords' seemingly happy and perfect life would not be smooth sailing for long, and the family suffered their first tragedy in 1871, ten years into the marriage. The Spaffords invested a substantial amount of their fortune in real estate in Chicago in the spring of 1871, but their investment literally went up in smoke years later, uh, sorry, I mean later that year, as much of Chicago was reduced to ashes in the Great Chicago Fire. Most of the Spafford's sizable investment was destroyed. The Great Chicago Fire is still regarded as one of the greatest tragedies in American history. And while we will likely never know for sure how the fire started, the legend holds that the fire started when a cow kicked over a lantern in a barn and set the hay on fire. While we'll probably never know the cause of the fire, we know all too well the cost of the fire. The fire started October 8, 1871, and it burned through the 10th. And the fire department was only able to get the fire under control because they had some help from above when it rained on the 10th. It is estimated that the fire destroyed one-third of the city, killed approximately 300 people, and left nearly 100,000 homeless with winter rapidly approaching. In the aftermath of the fire, the Spaffords worked tirelessly for two years to help the surviving victims of the fire. Two years after the fire, in late 1873, 
the Spaffords decided to take a much-needed vacation and chose England as their destination because the Reverend D.L. Moody, a friend of the family, would be preaching there that fall. Horatio was held up on business, and since he saw no reason for the entire family to delay their trip, he sent his family ahead and planned on meeting them there later. Anne Spafford took passage on the ill-fated French vessel the Ville de Havre, and I'm probably saying that wrong, so if I am, I apologize, uh, with her four daughters, 11-year-old Anne, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. When researching the accident, I found the following passage. At about midnight on November 22, 1873, after five days of heavy fog, Captain Marino Surmount, who is said to have been on duty the whole time, turned over the helm to the second officer and went to bed. The night is said to have been bright and starlight. The sea was reported as heavy. Two hours later, the bow of the Loch Urn crashed the Vilda Haver amidship, causing a 30-foot hole in her side. Captain William Robertson of the Loch Urn stated that when he saw the Ville de Harve, he realized the two ships were on a collision course and took appropriate actions, including sounding the warning with the ship's bell and porting his helm. He also stated that the Ville de Harve, I think I've said that different every time, turned the starboard, causing the ship to cross the bow of the Loch Urn and causing the collision. The Villa du Havre began to sink by the bow, and only twelve min and in only about twelve minutes she would slide under the waves. In those twelve minutes, panic and horror ruled on the sinking ship. Passengers, terrified, became paralyzed by fear, and it is said many made no attempt to save themselves. Some that made it off to lifeboats did not make it far from the ship when the mizzenmast fell over the side, crushing the boat and killing and injuring the rest. The mainmast fell on the deck, killing even more people. 226 people died in the wreck, including all four of the Spafford's children. Despite the fact that it was badly damaged, the Loch Urn took on the 61 surviving passengers and the 29 surviving crew members of the Villa du Havre until another ship came to the rescue. As my boss told me when I had to take time off to go to my stepfather's funeral, I have reached the age where life stops giving me things and starts taking things away. And I've lost a number of family members, including several last year. But I can only imagine how a person would feel at hearing they had lost all four of their children in one fell swoop. A few days after the horrible accident at sea, Horatio received the heartbreaking telegraph from his wife that read, Saved Alone. I can only imagine what went through Horatio's mind as he learned what became of his four daughters. On his way to be reunited with his grieving wife, Horatio was called by the captain to the bridge of the ship and was told that they were crossing the spot where the Villa du Havre went down. The water in the spot where the ship went down, 600 mile, 680 miles northwest of the Azores, is three miles deep. Later that night, in his cabin, Horatio penned the words to the now famous hymn. I have spoken with many people who have no idea how Horatio could have thought that all was well with his soul after suffering such great loss. And many people 
have given up faith after suffering much lesser tragedy. Tragedy and heartbreak can either strengthen our faith or destroy it, depending on what our faith is on what our faith is based before the tragedy occurs. If we only trust God because we have not experienced loss, then we've built our house on a sandy foundation. True faith in God is not shaken by loss, as we understand that we are not promised that a life of faith will be an easy life. After losing their four daughters, the Spaffords had three more children, a son, Horatio III, and two daughters, Bertha and Grace. On February 11, 1880, the family suffered yet another major tragedy with the death of their son, Horatio Jr. He was only four years of age at the time. Horatio Jr. was one of the many people who fell victim to the scarlet fever that year. After suffering much loss, Horatio died from malaria four days short of his 60th birthday. Regardless of what life threw at him, Horatio never lost his faith. And so far as I know, he never blamed God for any of the bad things that happened in his life. There are a lot of people who falsely believe that having faith in God will make them immune to the hardships of this world. And when trials inevitably come, they lose their faith, when they should instead be like the Spaffords, who suffered great tragedy and did not let it destroy their faith. I think the Spaffords had the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down to the golden idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. And knowing that they would be thrown into the raging furnace if they refused, they still stood strong in their faith. In Daniel 3:16-20, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as I like to refer to them, the three amigos, reply, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. We all know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared from perishing in the fire by divine intervention, but they were willing to serve God even if he failed to save them. The point of serving God is not to do so because we think he will reward us or make our lives easier, but because we love God and want to please him regardless of the personal costs. And <clears throat> this is, I know this is kind of a short episode, but uh, as I'm under the weather, I don't know how long I can talk before I lose my voice, so I try to keep it short. And so uh, I wanted to have a longer episode for the one-year mark, but sometimes it doesn't have to be long to be good or to be important. And I just wanted to share this quick message here about about how we handle loss and trials in our life, uh, especially considering that I just lost a good friend yesterday. And Doyle was one of those people that uh, no matter what life threw at him, he never lost his faith. I think we all, uh, we all need to be that way. We all need to stand strong in the faith no matter what happens. And we need to have our faith based on, 
based on God, not based on the fact that we have things given to us. Because we're not promised that we'll have an easy life because of faith. Uh, God promises that a life faith will be worth it, but it doesn't promise that, that it'll be easy. And he even told the apostles that uh, they would have trouble. So, uh, Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in next time. And God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.